and welcome to At The Crossroads with myself, Paddy Cummins. This week we're going to delve into the early era of music that could be officially or otherwise considered as being of Kayleigh Band nature. This will obviously feature mostly music from bands who use the term Kayleigh Band in their name, but also those who preceded the widespread use of the term such as the Bell Havel Trio, Ballin' the Kill Traditional Players, and American bands like Dan Sullivan's Shamrock Orchestra and the Four Provinces Orchestra. In the case of the latter American bands, well, they didn't promote themselves as units that were purposely constructed to accompany Kayleigh or set dances, although it must be said that they were very popular in dance halls. Their style of music was comparable on many levels with those who did promote themselves as such. And this fact makes for an interesting study, which I won't delve into in detail today, but would at least like to bring attention to for the sake of painting a broader picture than otherwise would have been created. In 1897, the first formal Cayley took place in London, as organised by the London branch of the Gaelic League. But it wasn't until the 1920s that Cayleys became the regular social outlet in Ireland for people wanting to dance and socialise. And then this was aided further by the 1935 Public Dance Halls Act, after which, in more nuanced terms, informal house dances were banned and to be replaced with public dances in fit-for-purpose venues. Now, due to the very Catholic nature of Irish politics at the time, the aim was to, from their point of view, steer people away from sinful, popular music, particularly jazz. And from the point of view of the influential Gaelic League, they wanted to promote the form of Irish dancing known as Cayley dancing, as opposed to the less Irish form, in inverted commas, of set dancing. At the beginning of the 20th century, amplification was also in its infancy, and to cater for large public dances, a band was needed in place of smaller groups or solo musicians that were features at house and crossroads dances. Cayley dances, as distinct from set dances, had been documented in Ireland as early as the 1500s, and in response to efforts by the Gaelic League to rid Ireland of its many centuries of Anglicisation at the end of the 1800s, the agenda was pushed to favour this type of dancing over the sets. It was a kind of an unfortunate paradox which saw the active replacement of the more naturally acquired tradition of Irish set dancing, and which had been the favourite form of social dancing at the time. Their argument was that, although these forms of dancing had lasted for hundreds of years, their roots were in the French quadrille and cotillion dances of the 17th century, which in turn had spread to England's social sphere in the early 19th century. Since this fact made them safely non-Irish in origin, the Gaelic League sought to, in effect, rewrite the traditions in a deliberate fashion. Now, I'm going to shoot from the hip here and say that these newly revived dances in the Cayley dance sphere had a far less authentic vibe of them. They were resurrected from a period which was just prior to penal laws being instituted and tradition had developed in another direction since then. I mean, it is probably fair to say that these dances were more Irish insofar as their lineage couldn't be traced back to anywhere else but Ireland. But in the face of the penal laws and cultural persecution, the Irish people took something foreign and made it distinctly their own. The footwork in the set dances was modelled on the very Irish Shannon steps. And the types of figures danced, although similar to quadrilles in that they were square dances, varied greatly, not just in comparison to our European neighbours, but even within the context of different regions in Ireland. Now, to a large extent, I appreciate the efforts of the Gaelic League in their attempts to revive every semblance of pure Irish culture in the face of many years of colonialism. But I just think their view was a little bit narrow, and perhaps overtly nationalistic, at the expense of an equally, if not more important, chapter in the history of Ireland's culture, particularly its dancing. 
Let me know what you think. I'd be curious to hear your opinions. As always, the email is patrickcumminsmusic at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch. Now, before I delve into the more musical aspect of today's program, I would like to share two paragraphs which highlight interesting points on this particular area and angle. The first comes from Kathleen Moffat's article, A Short History of Irish Cayley Dancing, which appears on CayleyDancing.com. The sets were popular throughout the country in their many localised forms. They all derived from the quadrille, which in turn can be traced back to the French cotillion, which was very popular in France in 1723. The quadrille was popular in the Paris of Napoleon, and so the victorious armies of Wellington became familiar with them and introduced them to England and to Ireland around the period of 1816 to 1820. They were first introduced to the houses of the English landowning classes and from there they spread to the crossroads and country house dances where they thrived as social dances for over a century. While the Cayley dancing existed, the sets flourished until the advent of Cunra na in 1893. This organisation had as its objective the recreating of a separate cultural Irish nation. Its members believed that in order to achieve this, a process of what Douglas Hyde called de-Anglicisation was necessary. This meant refusing to imitate the English in their language, literature, music, dance, dress and ideas. Their primary aim was to keep the Irish language alive and they later turned their minds to other aspects of Irish culture. They believed that in order to achieve their objectives, they had to get rid of all English influences, and so the sets and their variant forms were banished from the social activities of revivalists in favour of Cayley dances. End quote. Now going deeper into the mindset of the Gaelic League, Simon Fritz's book Popular Music, Critical Concepts in Media and Cultural Studies mentions the following. They, being the Gaelic League, were a good deal more interested in unearthing a player of the defunct wire-strung harp than in contemporary country fiddlers. The interest of the Gaelic League in the invented tradition of the Irish war pipes also exemplifies its active attempts to guide Irish music into forms considered appropriate for national culture. Pipe bands with their national costume and regalia were better suited to the public display of Irishness and more like the folkloric displays of European nationalism than were the popular forms of entertainment provided by country musicians. The first of these Cayley dances was held by the London branch of the Gaelic League in 1897. The Cayley dance seemed a possible public form for Irish music and dance, although the League sponsored the resuscitation of defunct dance forms rather than commonly practised local forms of quadrille sets. The respectable Irish bourgeoisie of the Gaelic League's socially distanced from the cottier musicians of rural Ireland, were proposing a new public role for Irish dance music in which its natural cultural status could be furthered. In the early part of the 20th century, Gaelic League meetings established the Cayley Dance as a social institution. End quote. Now, I hope I'm not bombarding you with way too much too soon. I just really find that this context is very, very important, not just for understanding Cayley bands, but also the whole tradition of dancing within Ireland, particularly in the 19th and 20th centuries. Although bands such as the Kilfenora Cayley Band had made appearances on 2RN, which was the predecessor to Radio Erin, Ireland's national broadcaster, from as early as the 1920s, the archive is not available online. 
it is my aim to discover what lies in those archives. There is no doubt a wealth of material there and I'm hopeful that this endeavour will bear some results in the future. But for this episode, I'm focusing on music released by a handful of early Cayley bands or bands that led to the formation of what we know today as a Cayley band on the 78 RPM disc format, mostly from the 1920 to 1940 period. Many bands, which had been regular features on 2RN, didn't cut commercial records, and of those that did, a good helping spent decades before releasing their first ones in the 1950s, during the early days of LP. This was possibly in response to the new LP format and the genesis of the Flachiole competitions. Whatever the actual reasons, the heyday for Cayley bands began in the mid-1950s and lasted until about 1970, and during this period, many great Cayley bands produced a significant recorded output, including the Tulla Cayley Band, the Gallo Glass, and Maliki Sweeney. There were countless more, and a plethora of different approaches to Cayley band style emerged, not least a trend in following popular Scottish Cayley band styles, such as the music of Jimmy Shand. There's an entire study could be undertaken on just this period, but for today... I'm just going to give you a snippet of the preceding period. I'll also take a brief look at some bands that recorded in the United States in the 1920s, which, although not considered Cayley bands per se, would have featured many similarities in their orchestration and no doubt influenced the development of Cayley bands, even if just indirectly. And so, on to the first of these bands to be explored, the Ballinakill Traditional Players. They made a significant impact on the world of traditional Irish music for a number of reasons. They were formed in 1927 in the and Woodford areas of East Galway by a father Larkin, himself a fiddle player. Although they were, in retrospect, probably the first group to popularise music as a Cayley band, the often understood context for father Larkin's bright notion was in the light of the ever-growing popularity of jazz music amongst the Irish population. Seen as sinful and worried about the implications jazz music would have on Irish society and his parishioners, father Larkin and sought to form a homegrown band that would keep people's interest in the purer form of Irish entertainment found at an Irish Cayley. He wasn't wrong in his assumptions as the Ballinakill traditional players became a sensation during the late 1920s and were a popular feature on 2RN. They cut their first sides on a 78 RPM disc in 1930 for the London-based Parlophone Company, who took a trip to Ireland to record several musicians, singers and comedians in a variety of styles. In light of the unprecedented success, they were invited to London to record six more double-sided records the following year. I find it interesting to listen to music recorded from Irish-based musicians as opposed to the vast majority who emigrated to the United States and fell into the hustle and bustle of life in cities like New York, Boston, Philadelphia and Chicago. In terms of their style of music, it was laid back in tempo, yet possessed an inherent liveliness that would be suitable for dancing to. The original members were flutists Stephen Maloney and Tommy Whelan, in tandem with fiddle players Jerry Maloney and Tommy White. Piano accompaniment was provided by Anna Rafferty, who, incidentally, was the only one that was musically literate, and in conjunction with Father Larkin, would score out bass lines and chords for her piano. Some of her choices still leave me a little perplexed, to be quite honest, but I guess in the context of how new the idea of harmonic accompaniment in Irish music was at the time, especially at home, experimentation and good old trial and error would no doubt have its place. In 1938, two of the Next Generation members would join the band and take part in their second excursion to London, Aggie White and Kevin Maloney. 
It was in this period of around 1941-42 to that the original members decided to take a step back from the band. The next generation would keep it alive, however, namely the aforementioned Aggie White and Kevin Maloney, Kevin's brother Eddie, Bridie White, who I assume is related to Aggie, possibly a sister, though I can't confirm, Jack Dervin, Jack Coughlin, Martin Grace, Tom Rourke, Jim Hogan and John Maloney all partaken in several ventures with the band until another shake-up in the mid-1960s. We began the show with a selection of reels from what I determined to be their second recording session in 1931, a selection of two reels, Knock Nagow, more commonly known as Scotch Mary, and a reel they call Fowling Piece, but again, has the more common title of the Temple House reel these days. You can get a good idea for their relaxed approach to playing and how it differed with much of what was recorded in the USA, even when the different RPM recording speeds versus playing speeds are taken into account. I mean, does it beckon the question, was the life in rural East Galway a reflection on this in comparison to the hype and activity of the American streets? I would say most probably. Here's another selection from the Ballin a Kill, and this one comes from their first recording session in 1930, a selection of jigs, the Carrow and Lamberts, commonly titled the Rambling Pitchfork, and as a side note, listen out for the strange phrasing of bar four in the second tune, you just don't get that stuff anymore. <laughs> Thank you. 
Carol Rowe Jig and Lambert Steer from the first recording session of the great Ballon and Kill traditional players. I've yapped a lot and I'm aware of that. Let's keep the music going with another selection of reels. This time from possibly their second recording phase in 1931. Two reels, the mills are grinding and the Milner's daughter. selection of laid back reels there really epitomising one aspect of that gentle East Galway style of music now before we leave the Ballon of Kill for today I'm going to give you one more track and this was released in a compilation titled Past Masters of Irish Fiddle the artist was mentioned as Tommy White who as I say played fiddle with the original Ballon of Kill and to my mind the rest of the band are featuring in this recording but I can't quite figure out if I'm hearing the piano playing the melody which it seems to do at the very beginning and then maybe it's continuing on with snippets of the melody or if it indeed is a kind of a distant flute and sometimes I think I'm hearing the double fiddle and then at other times I think I'm not so I'll be interested to know what you think you hear here or maybe you have the facts for me 
Um, and then I would assume that this is Anna Rafferty on piano because in the initial 1930 recordings that the Ballinakill did, one of the discs cut was called The Old Bush. And that's what this reel is here. So we're either hearing Tommy White play The Old Bush backed by Anna Rafferty or indeed we're hearing a very tight fiddle duet of Tommy White and Jerry Maloney with some distant flute playing by the Stephen Maloney and Tommy Whelan duet. You make your mind up, but uh, let me know what you think. kill for now and move towards another great band of the 1930s. I'll get into the history shortly but for now let's take a selection of reels from the Sheem Sagail Cayley Band from Dublin. The High Road to Galway, commonly known as the Satin Slipper or the New Found Out. The Groves Reel, which is a highly inventive version, particularly in relation to the last part of the Bunch of Keys and the Salamanca Reel and then one more blast through the first tune for good measure. Thank you. 
reels there from the Dublin-based Shim Sagail Cayley band, who, like the Ballina Kill previously, were recorded by the Parlophone Company on one of their visits to Ireland in 1931. Though Irish traditional music archive sources say 1930, I think this is incorrect, or perhaps a mistake with regards to a recording date versus issue date situation. Limited information was directly to hand in regard to the band, but I did learn that a certain Mrs. Christina Sheridan played the fiddle with the band, and she was the daughter of a Mrs. Kenny. Some of you may have known the tune Mrs. Kenny's Waltz or Mrs. Kenny's Barndance. She was one of Francis O'Neill's respected sources of Irish dance tunes. And according to Adrian Scal, the cello or double bass was in noticeable use by the band at some point. Now, the lack of low frequency on 78 RPM disc makes it difficult to establish this point through mere listening, but I'll take his word for it. And it adds to a larger story regarding Cayley bands of the time, which saw them experiment with different kinds of instrumentation, including, but not limited to, saxophone, clarinet and vibraphone. Here's a second selection from the Sheem Seagal, the King of Jigs on Tahir Jack Walsh and McDonough's. <laughs> Thank you. 
nestled another of the greats of early Cayley music as it turned out. Initially founded as a trio in 1927 for a 2RN appearance, the Ockram Slopes was formed as a Cayley band in 1932 on the recommendation of Father Cummins, I wonder if he's a relation, of Ballinasloe. They recorded a selection of 78s in the 1930s and had a busy touring schedule in Ireland and the United Kingdom during the 1940s. Then they went on to win the All-Ireland Cayley Band title in 1953 and in 1956 recorded for HMV. The band's lineup changed over the years and lasted right into the 1980s and for the most part featured a masterclass lineup which at various points included all the great Paddies of Galway, Paddy Fahey, Paddy Kelly and Paddy Carty. On this next recording the lineup was an earlier one featuring the original trio members Jack Mulcair, Paddy Kelly and Joe Mills but also later additions in Fiddler Jim Drury and piano accompanist Josie O'Halloran. They play a selection of reels here, Kill a Beg House and The First House in Connacht. <laughs> Thank you. 
great selection from the East Galway legends, the Ockram Slopes Cayley Band from a 78 RPM cut in the 1930s. Here's another set featuring the same lineup, up, uh, a set of jigs, the Monaghan Jig and Henchy's Delight. <laughs> The Monaghan Jig and Henchy's Delight from an early 78 of the great Ockram Slopes Cayley Band. The Belhavel Trio, who were brothers Joe and Tommy Liddy on fiddle and accordion respectively, and Ned O'Gorman on ill and pipes, recorded three 78s in the early 1930s, and although not a Cayley band in and of themselves, they did at least partly lay the groundwork for one of Dublin's most prominent early Cayley bands, the Kincora Cayley Band, which featured Kathleen Harrington as band leader and fiddler Frank O'Higgins. It was Tommy Liddy who emigrated to America for a short time in the late 1920s and linked up with musicians such as Michael Coleman, John McKenna and Jim Morrison. 
His brother Joe stayed at home to pursue a career in Angarda Siakana, Ireland's police force, and as such became a prominent member of another early Dublin-based Cayley band, the Dublin Garda Metropolitan Cayley Band. Joe was also a noted composer and has the well-known reel Palmer's Gate and The Kill Cloon among his pen of over 100 tunes. The style of the Bell Havel Trio is interesting for a number of reasons, and among them is the lower octave tuning utilised by Tommy on his accordion. In conjunction with Nano Gorman's pipe chanter, the blend has a very particular quality. And notice that Ned only plays the chanter, he doesn't use the drones or the regulators. Here's a set dance from one of their 78s, the job of journey work, and then another from the same period, the reels, the ash plant, the merry harriers, and the hut in the bog. Thank you. 
trio and a couple of reels let's take a few jigs next Brian O'Lynn and the Rakes of Kildare Thank you. 
there you had the Bell Havel Trio from their 78 RPM releases in the 1930s. Now I mentioned Joe Liddy of County Leitrim as the fiddle player there and that he'd been stationed in Dublin from 1924 when he joined on Garda Síochána. The Gardaí had a tradition of music in their quarters which included a pipe band, a short-lived swing band and in circa 1925 a Garda Cayley band was formed, the Dublin Metropolitan Garda Cayley Band. It was active until 1958 and had regular engagements around Dublin at festivals and events and also gave recitals on radio airing. Along with Joe Liddy on fiddle, other members included pipers Sean O'Leary, Frank McCloskey and Andrew Mangan, box player Terry Lane and pianist and initial musical director, Superintendent Charles O'Donnell Sweeney, until his death in 1949. O'Donnell Sweeney's approach to directorship was based on his formal training as a UCD music graduate and featured far more orchestral-esque arrangements than would have been popular for less exhibition-type Cayley bands of the era. They did record a selection of 78s for HMV in 1937, and according to the recording engineer's log notes, they were impressed with the level of musicianship as, and I quote directly from GardaPost.com, many of the tracks were taken first time and adjudged to be of sufficient quality for pressing. At times, including over 30 musicians and displaying a wide range of non-traditional instruments, the Dublin Metropolitan Garda Cayley Band still very evidently were just that in style, a Cayley Band. Granted, I couldn't find examples of the more traditional sets of reels you might find from the likes of bands that were formed in rural, informal settings, but appearances on the popular radio show Take the Floor in 1953 would surely put them in the Cayley band sphere in at least some capacity. Judge for yourself from this next couple of cuts, The Hornpipes, Last of the Twins, Harvest Home and The Poppy Leaf, and then, on a separate cut, a couple of jigs, The Irish Washerwoman and The Trip to the Cottage.
there you had the Dublin Metropolitan Garda Cayley Band from their 1937 HMV recordings. Joe Liddy also played with the Kincora Cayley Band, a Dublin-based band who started their career recording in the 1930s. In 1958, they won the All-Ireland title for Cayley Bands at the Fla Ceolna Heron and by that stage had featured many, many prominent Irish traditional musicians, including the great composer and flute player, the late Vincent Broderick. Here they play a couple of reels for us, starting with the Dublin reel, then Colonel McBain and the Hunter's Purse. Kaylee Band there, and as I said, featured a whole host of brilliant, brilliant traditional musicians over their few decades of existence, including also, of whom I haven't mentioned before, John Egan, the Sligo flute player who was very, very prominent on the Dublin scene, and his fellow county man, John Joe Gardner, a fiddle and flute player. And speaking of John Joe, another John Joe featured as a prominent member of a Cayley band whom recorded in the 1940s, and that was John Joe Gannon, the accordion player from County Westmead, who was long resident in Dublin. 
He played with the most Kayleigh band who recorded in the 1940s for the Regal Xonophone label and uh, they recorded several uh, sides and I managed to acquire 18 of them and I wonder is that their total amount quite recently and I'm going to share with you a selection of jigs, the Kinnegad Slashers and the Lark in the Morning. Now, so far on the show, the bands and groups we've looked at have been based and, for the most part, recorded in Ireland. There were, however, several influential bands based and subsequently recorded in both the United Kingdom and the United States. In the UK, perhaps the most well-known of these was Frank Lee's Tara Cayley Band, and I found a comprehensive introduction in the Irish dance music compilation put together by Reg Hall. Reg says, Frank Lee... Born of Irish parents in Kensington in West London in 1889, that year may or may not be exact as it's followed by a question mark, 
and brought up like his brother Ed within the influence of the Gaelic revival and the nationalist movements, was a member of the IRA during the Troubles and a political activist all his life. Having played at Gaelic League, United Irish League, Irish Self-Determination League, Sinn Féin and Gaelic Athletic Association Cáilithe all over London during the 1920s, he was, by the early 1930s, playing weekend Cayley bookings for the Tara Football Club in Hammersmith. He took his band to Dublin in 1932 to compete at Enoch Talton, a week-long Gaelic festival where it came second, narrowly, narrowly missing out on first prize for allegedly playing too fast. On the strength of that success, the band recorded for Zonophone and Frank embarked on a semi-professional career in recording dance band work and Irish dance hall promotion in London. The personnel of the band on this recording is not known for sure, but it almost certainly included Richie and Paddy Tarrant and Joe Han. The Tarrant brothers, born in East Dulwich in South London in 1908 and 1910 respectively, were the nephews of Dinny Tarrant, a fiddle player from Bally Desmond, King Williamstown in County Kerry who had played for the Gaelic League in London at the turn of the century. They were taught at school by brother John O'Gorman just after the Great War, specifically to play for Cayley Dancing at Irish Self-Determination League branch meetings held in a storeroom behind Bulger's Tailor Shop at 5 Queen's Road in Peckham. Joe Han, who played the piccolo, flute and saxophone, was from Dublin. The band played in a straight, undecorated manner, applying the technique of reading musicians, although they probably played from memory, and Frank Lee is reported as having been a non-reader. Without the tonal textures, the ornamentation, the rhythm and the timing of rural musicians, the Tara Cayley band, at this time at least, played with spirit and drive and they had the ability to propel and excite Cayley dancers in a dance hall filled to capacity. End quote. And thank you very much, Reg Hall, for that wonderfully detailed introduction to Frank Lee's Tara Cayley band. Quite an amount of information to digest there. Here's a selection of tunes from the group, The Bridge of Athlone, which is an interesting jig. And then a couple of reels, Drowsy Maggie, The Bush in Bloom, and Bonnie Kate. <laughs> and you'll notice that the reels feature a very odd, slower introduction. Thank you. 
seems kind of endless. Frank Lee's Tara Kelly Band. So over on the other side of the Atlantic, there were a number of bands or orchestras, as they were often called, which, although not necessarily formed for the purpose of playing Kayleys, were musically aligned in a number of ways with Kaylee bands. One such was the Boston-based Dan Sullivan's Shamrock Band. Dan Sullivan was born in the US to an Irish father, Dan Sullivan Sr., who played flute and fiddle and hailed from the Cork Kerry region. Dan Jr. had a very successful career with his Shamrock Band and was able to live off his music professionally. The group's recording career started in 1926 and featured Kerry musicians Michael C. Hannafin on fiddle, Daniel J. Murphy on Ellen Pipes and Daniel P. Moroni on Tin Whistle. Dan Sullivan himself played piano and was in fact classically trained. Lineups developed over the years and began to include a variety of other instruments, including early employment of a banjo in the form of Neil Nolan's handiwork. Other musicians to do time with Sullivan included Mike Mullen, Murty Rabbit, Jim O'Brien and Connie Hannafin. There are many, many recordings of Dan Sullivan's music and it's difficult to know where to begin for demonstrative purposes. So I've just plumped for this barn dance Green Grow the Rushes, which also features some lilting from Murty Rabbit. Rabbit sang plenty of songs with the orchestra, and it also showcases the tin whistle which often stood out front in the ensemble. Not to mention Dan's highly inventive and musical piano playing. His technical skill no doubt came in part due to his classical training and understanding of the instrument from work with the Steinway Piano Company, but at the same time, steep rural Irish roots made sure that he could fit his instrument of choice to a music that was all too often destroyed by the same instrument in the wrong hands. I 
Dan Sullivan wasn't the only pianist to band leader on that side of the Atlantic to fill the dance halls of the day. Edward Lee, a London-born musician of Irish stock, emigrated to the USA in 1916 and landed in Philadelphia. While he was there, he formed a dance band which would go on to record a significant amount of 78 RPM discs called the Four Provinces Orchestra. I currently don't have all the band members' names, but I did find mention of fiddle player John McCormick as having been part of the group. And other musicians noted possibly in my findings are John Kennedy on fiddle and Sam Moore on accordion. I'm sure some of the experts on this era will fill in the gaps very promptly. So uh, again, patrickcumminsmusic at gmail.com. Like Sullivan, Lee was also a very inventive piano player himself with a clear, deep understanding of the music that he recorded and orchestrated. Similar also was his use of the banjo in ensembles. Here's one of his cuts, a polka set with just the title of one of the tunes, Leather Away the Wattle
a lovely polka set there from the Four Provinces Orchestra, and it's there that we leave it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and feel a little bit more informed on the subject of early dance bands. As I mentioned at the beginning of this topic, it has so much more to give. There's an incredibly large amount of 78s, especially from those bands that recorded in America, and be very aware that there were many, many more bands, both at home and abroad, who could have been listed today. Any number of tracks from Pat Roach's Harp and Shamrock Orchestra, the Lockgill Quartet, the Austin Stack Cayley Band, and so many more could have been chosen. And that scope just magnifies by umpteen amounts when the possibility of using radio archives is brought to the table. And then there's bigger names in Cayley music that would have featured on radio and had a massive influence on the ground here in Ireland from about the 1940s right up to today, such as the Kilfenora Cayley Band and the Tulla, to name a few obvious ones. And let's not completely do away with the influence of bands which took a different approach stylistically using the Scottish model, such as the Gallo Glass with Richie Kelly, the Donald Ring Cayley Band, Malachy Doris, Malachy Sweeney, Frank Gilligan, but... Fortunately, I don't have any more time for this, and besides, I'm sure you all have better things to be getting on with. I will come back to this period in the time for sure, and maybe look into it at a more specific angle, or perhaps even a specific band. In the meantime, as always, if you've enjoyed the show, please spread the word to your friends. I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. I'm not looking for monetary donation or any kind of Patreon subscriptions or anything like that. Um... I'm doing this for the love of it, I'm doing it for your enjoyment, and I am hoping that it's proving to be such. I'm always here on a weekly basis on Acast or on Spotify, free of charge for your enjoyment. Please get in touch if you have any queries, comments or suggestions, patrickcumminsmusic at gmail.com. For now, I'll just leave you with all that food for thought and let the four provinces play us out with a selection of flings. Take care of yourselves, enjoy the week, and see you at the crossroads. (laughs) Thank you.